Hello, hello, Kristen here. Just wanted to let you know that this episode was recorded before the podcast name change. If you hear any old terminology, that's why. Thank you for listening. Hello, hello, notable women. Kristen Downs here, your host, and I'm so happy to be with you again, although I certainly wish it was under better circumstances. It's been quite some time since I've been here with you. A lot has happened in my life and the world since then. Personally, for me, uh, it ended with my father passing away in January. He fought a three-year battle with pancreatic cancer, stage four. And then he went on hospice right after Christmas and passed away in January of 2020. Many nights I spent with my father and my mother watching the news after Christmas in December through January. And one of the things that came up very often while we were watching the news was this virus in China. And lo and behold, here we are today in March and that virus has caused a global pandemic here in New York City. We are essentially on pause, I think is how Governor Cuomo says it, and we will be sheltering in place starting tomorrow. So a very, very different world. The way that I personally am responding to this is trying to address people's fears and concerns and problems through something I named the Social Distancing Summit. It's in the Society of Notable Women, which you can find at thenotablewoman.com slash group. We have topics around fear, anxiety, and stress, activities that you can do with your kids. We have expert interviews, including this one that we're about to hear now. So this interview is with the amazing Amy Simpkins, self-proclaimed data nerd, and the reason I wanted to talk to her is because she really understands the numbers behind COVID-19. What does it mean for this virus to be exponential? People seem confused about why does it matter that there's only two or three cases in my community, in my county? How are we shutting down? Why are we social distancing? It's such a small number. And so Amy is here to explain to us why that matters. Now, the other thing I want to tell you is that this was my first time back in the saddle again, and we did have a couple of sound issues. I am so sorry about that. Uh, at one point, Amy is going to come back in to the episode to read comments that she had made that I could not clean up in post, so you'll be able to hear that. But besides that, it's a great interview, lots of amazing content, and I hope you enjoy it. I'll catch you again on the flip side. So hello, everyone. I am interviewing Amy Simpkins of New Grid Analytics. Did I say that well? No, I didn't. You did. I did? Oh, you my did God. Okay, and we are going to be talking about the the growth, the numbers of COVID-19. Now, why Amy? Well, I'm glad you asked, right? So Amy has over 15 years of experience in technical engineering and project management of complex systems and software. She's also the chief executive officer of Mugert Analytics. So like notable women, woo, we're so excited awesome. Female CEOs rock the world. So who was Amy before she became a CEO? Well, she's an engineer, spacecraft systems architect with Lockheed Martin. She worked on advanced R&D and design integration for Earth observing and manned spacecraft. 
Yes. Now, she also, in this capacity, assessed architectural choices based on design performance, operational power constraints, and program finance. She spent several years in flight operations for unmanned scientific exploration spacecraft, and she helped monitor and manage solar array performance, energy storage systems, power budget of long-duration deep space missions. Guys, this is awesome. How cool is Amy? So her technical expertise also includes system and software architecture, system level performance modeling, and design trade-based analysts. She coaches, she consults. Uh, she has a wonderful book that you absolutely should get called Spiral, A Catalyst for Innovation and Expansion, which I also have and have read. And she has an MS in Astronautical Engineering from the University of Southern California and an SB in Aeronautics and Astronautics, which I've never said before, um, from MIT. Wow! So that is why Amy is here talking to us. And then why did I want her to come in and talk about the numbers around this virus? Uh, that's because I've seen a lot of people saying things like, Oh, you know, there's like one case in my area. There's like two cases. Even in New York City, people are like 300 cases. Like, well, what's the big deal? Oh, it is a big deal. And Amy is here to talk to us about why. So thank you, Amy, so much for being here. I appreciate it so very, very much. And so my first question for you, you know, obviously you're a data and analytics person. And what made you first start to look at this virus? So thank you for that mm -hmm. stellar introduction. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, and yes, I'm, I'm a total um, data and numbers nerd. And so is my husband, who happens to be also my business partner at UGrid Analytics. And, uh, you know, it was a long bio and I've done a lot of cool stuff and I worked a lot of cool projects, but what it really boils down to is that I build models of things. I build mathematical models. I look at what, when, you know, when you hear something like technical performance, whether it's a, a spacecraft or like an energy system, it's basically taking the performance of those things and putting it into numbers and then saying, what can I expect? What can I expect from this thing? Um, and you can do that with almost anything. I mean, I'm, I'm a big nerd, so I have models about everything. Like I have, you know, your budget, your monthly budget is a model. You're converting, you know, what you need in terms of food or utilities or whatever into numbers. And then that number becomes, that, those numbers become the model. And so that's, you know, when we're looking at this, um, the pandemic here, there's some certain numbers that go along with it that are that indicate the performance of the virus. Now, in the case of obviously in the case of something technical like a spacecraft or an energy system or your budget, you want those num you want the performance to do well. The numbers that you're hearing floating around, like the R naught number, which is how contagious it is, that's a performance number. How well is it performing or how serious is it? The CFR, which is the mortality rate, the death rate, is also a performance number. So we can use those numbers to assess the system, to assess how it's doing, and to see what we can do to affect that performance. In this case, we want to make the performance worse. 
related to how he got interested in this, in addition to all those professional accomplishments that you read there, were also world travelers for a long time. That was a huge side hobby, obsession, traveling all over the world. So we've been to China six or seven times, depending on how you count it. Last year in 2019, we had actually planned on visiting Wuhan because there was a flight deal. In Xi'an, they have the Terracotta Warriors, and there it's like a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So we decided to go to Xi'an and see the Terracotta Warriors instead of go visit Wuhan last January, January 2019. And so kind of because of that connection, because of that, um, like, oh, wow, this is a place where we've been, or we almost were, and, you know, we've been into interior China, and, you know, kind of the news caught our eye when it was started to come out in January. Um, and so, as I mentioned, my, my husband is also my business partner, um, and he is also a, a modeler, a data analyst, a data nerd. Um, we are two peas in a pod, basically, in that that sense and he got talking with one of his nerd buddies and who said hey have you seen this what's going on in china have you seen this virus thing it seems like it might be pretty serious and they started having conversations about it in like the last week of january and that's when they started to get the the two of them and and so then travis my husband came to me and was like hey so there's something going on in china mm. and like they're like, there's some of these, these like crazy pictures coming out of like people in hazmat suits in the street. Mm. And like, they're talking about locking down like apartment buildings. And this is like, really weird. Like if this virus were to come here or to get out to come into the rest of the world, like, it could potentially be a big deal. And so it was almost from that time that we were kind of like looking at the data, not in a not obsessively like we are now, admittedly, mm -hmm. but like, it was like, my husband joked that, you know, normal people get up in the morning and they check the NBA, NBA scores from the night before. Like we got up and checked the Wuhan numbers. Mm -hmm. Like how was the virus spreading? Was this going to become a thing? And it's just one of those, I think as like data nerds, it's one of those things that like captures our attention. Like, wow, like this is some crazy, this is an outlier. Mm -hmm. Anytime you have a data outlier, like, why is that? What happened? Which is why I think, you know, at a time, you know, why are you talking to a data analyst? Why mm -hmm. are you talking to a numbers person? Why aren't you talking to the, like a physician or an infectious disease specialist? And obviously a lot of physicians, infectious disease specialists, epidemiologists are really great at the numbers modeling too. Mm -hmm. But I think being able to separate it from its subject matter and mm -hmm. say, hey, it's just a model. And this is, this is truly what the numbers say, like divorced from any mm -hmm. preconceived notion about how a virus should behave or, you know, things like that, I think can be useful. It, it gives a degree of independence. So that's kind of why we started to get interested. And Travis started to say like, Hey, like this is, this is going to come. Like there's a case, you know, there's a case in Italy, mm -hmm. like we should get prepared. And it was sort of the the first time, you know, we spent a couple of weeks there going, why isn't anyone else talking about this? Mm -hmm. Like, what, th like there's a problem and it's coming. Like we can see the tidal wave coming mm -hmm. and everyone was still playing on the beach and like playing beach volleyball and yeah. hanging out and getting their tan. And we're like, guys, 
there's a, but at the same time, we didn't want to like raise a huge alarm because like, you know, surely someone else must be looking at this. Surely someone else must be seeing these numbers and must know something we don't. So no reason to panic. We're just going to watch it and um, see what happens. So that's kind of how the beginning started. Now, from from our perspective, so I know most people in, in this community know that my father was sick on hospice starting in December and then passed away and uh, in January. And he and my mom watched the news every night, every night. So every night I watched the news with them because I was his caretaker. And so starting in the end of December, like a little bit before New Year's, on the regular news channels that they would watch, they would talk about this virus in China. And so it seemed to me um, concerning. I, I work on a floor in Manhattan where there are tons of international students from all over the world um, who come in from Italy and from Germany and from China and from um, Australia. And, and so I thought, you know, gosh, it would be really easy for one of those students to accidentally bring this over um, when they come back in January. So after my father died and we came back to New York City, I said, we should take the strictest flu precautions we've ever taken in our lives because uh, I'm concerned about this. Like, it seems like it would be such an easy thing to come here. Things that are now normal, we've been doing for a very long time because, right. you know, we were, uh, I was concerned about it and I just made the rest of my family get on board. So question for you, just on a personal level, were you out and about and decided to come back to Colorado because of what was happening, or were you already sort of planning to be at your home base? For instead of traveling? Yeah. Yeah, it's really like, I don't know, serendipitous, I guess, that um, we were we were taking a break from traveling. Um, some of the, as you may be aware, um, a lot of the frequent flyer programs have been, over the years, have um, you know, been, uh, shedding benefits and shedding benefits. Mm -hmm. And basically we were United Flyers. They completely overhauled everything, the way you earn miles and points and, th and elite status and all of that. And, um, they completely kind of shredded the game, you mm -hmm. know, and we were like, well, um, you know, we had gotten to a point just in, in personal life. Um, our company MuGrid is growing. Um, we do, techno-economic analysis of renewable energy systems like solar, battery storage, wind, combined heat and power, all that kind of stuff. And um, it's been growing and we were, we had, we were homeschooling the kids um, in order to be able to travel a lot. And we was, you know, we were kind of world schoolers mm -hmm. um, and kind of the perfect storm of events where the company was growing and the travel thing was like, you know, less, you know, desirable, I guess, because of the kind of the collapse of the free flyer programs. And we had decided to put the kids in school and we were like, we're just going to take a break right now. Mm. And, you know, maybe something else will happen that, you know, we'll get back in it and we'll do it again. But for right now, like we've been doing this for, um, over about 12 years, um, we were doing it with like crazy travel all the time. Um, and, so it, we were on a break. And so it, you, you don't know how many times we've looked at each other now and said, can you imagine if we were traveling or if we, you know, not just, you know, either going somewhere or having to make a decision about whether to cancel trips or, you know, and all, all of those kinds of decisions. So it was just sort of a, 
lucky happenstance mm. that we were not traveling this year. Well, that is great. I know my husband's parents just retired and they spent all of last year traveling all over the world, just traveling like crazy. And then this year they were going to chill. And so they're very happy that they had done all of that last year and they didn't have, you know, 12 or 15 trips that they had to cancel. Um, yeah, for sure. I know certainly a lot of folks who are watching and listening have had to do the same and we're certainly sorry about that. Uh, but also I just want to point out those airlines, man, cutting those frequent flyer programs, buying back all their stock and now they want to bail out. And that makes my eye twitch, makes my eye twitch. But that will be like a different podcast episode. Um, so uh, I love what you named this project, which it or what is what, you know, I'm calling it. I don't know if you're calling it a project or an initiative, but this humans versus virus is just my favorite. So anyone who wants to follow along can go to uh, humansversusvirus.com and there are daily numbers updates and all sorts of explanation around uh, the, the analysis. And so my first question around this is, how did you pick this name? <laughs> well, I was, um, so first of all, it came, it came out of that comment that Travis made that, you know, normal people wake up and check the NBA scores and we wake up and check the coronavirus numbers. And, and so, and we, you know, when we decided to, so this, the longer story is that we were, we had, like you, we had seen it, seen the tidal wave building and we were starting to take our own precautions. You know, we were starting to like, let me just buy a few extra canned goods at the store, like just mm -hmm. in case. And because we like to say that we have this uncanny ability to see where things are headed. And to us, it seems very normal to like, go down the path of like, wow, this could really affect our economy to the point of like economic collapse. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't occur to us that normal people don't actually go down that path um, and pursue that line of thought. Mm -hmm. But um, so we had been preparing in various ways, um, the, you know, as you, as you mentioned, taking all sorts of um, early precautions, but not really like saying anything. Yeah. not posting about it on social media. And we do a fair bit of interacting on social media with friends, you know, distant friends and things like that. And, but more toward the beginning of the second week of March there, um, we started to see, we were seeing this tidal wave come closer and closer. You know, we had our first cases. Well, Seattle was already pretty much a disaster at that mm -hmm. point. And even in the face of Seattle's disaster, there were people on our friends list saying, it's just the flu, man. Like, why are we in such a panic? It's just the flu. And we're like, but Italy and Milan, which we have a, an employee of our company in Milan right now. Um, he lives mm -hmm. there. He's in a master's program while he works for us remotely. And like, we're like, no, really <laughs> like Milan and Seattle. And like, it's really not just the flu. And finally I said to Travis, you know, like, I think we have a lot, there's, there's some loud people saying it's just the flu, but there's a lot of quiet people who don't know what to think. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who would listen to us. If we said, look, we've been looking at this data since January and we've been preparing ourselves we think you should prepare yourselves too. And maybe some people would start to listen. So the first thing we did actually was write a post that was like, Hey, 
stop making fun of people who say they're going to cancel things or they're going to socially distance or they're not going to show up to things. Like, that's the opposite of health. Like, we actually do need to be doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, the spread of this virus is a concern. Here's what we're doing. Here's what that looks like for us. Mm -hmm. That, you know, I've quit going to group exercise classes, but our kids are still in school at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and like, here are some easy ways you could start to partially isolate yourself. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because like two days later, they like all the major news organizations had come out with recommendations to socially distance. And, um, and then the school started to, we pulled our kids on Thursday, last Thursday. And like most of the schools that have shut down, shut down starting on Monday. Mm -hmm. And so like we were, you know, and then people were coming like, they listen to you. And I'm like, well, I don't think that's, that's really <laughs> um, but so, you know, in the midst of, so we had, we had such success, you know, telling people and people coming back to us saying like, that really made a difference for me. Like my mom didn't listen to anybody else, but she listened to you. Mm-hmm. And we were like, whoa, that's something. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, you know, we had been sort of building our own little model in the background partially to look at like as the um the case numbers came out like was this really exponential growth Mm. was this real you know what does it really look like from the math perspective and we were doing curve fits to it to say wow yeah like this is like fitting with 99.9 percent accuracy like this is going to be a problem and we'll talk we can talk about that in a minute but um so right around that time that we started to post actual data or wanting or starting to play with the actual data and saying like, and Travis was like, Hey, like we can predict the new number of cases tomorrow because Mm. this curve has been so rock solid. In fact, the day we just, it's funny because the day we decided to post it, our model had been correct with it to within 0.6%. It was seriously like out of four or 3000 cases, it was 20 off. Mm. to the number and Travis was like this is better than March Madness because they had just announced they were going to cancel March Madness and I was like of course I was like this is what we need to be doing instead of March Madness is we need to be like instead of checking the box scores we check the COVID numbers and it gives something people maybe it would give something people something to cheer for Mm -hmm. you know with all sports canceled Americans love our sports So, you know, can we cheer for each other to socially distance and stop making fun of the people who are overreacting and instead say, yeah, you go take those precautions, you know, and like create a, I don't know, more festive environment, I guess. And so um, that's kind of how it started. I don't know how I actually picked you. I went to go get a URL because we started posting these on Facebook in public Facebook posts and came very quickly to, this is a really poor medium for this. Like you can't post mo- multiple graphics. Like mm-hmm. I need to be able to post this graph and then explain it. And I'm like, I need a website. I'm sorry. So I had to go get a website. And I guess that that's just where it, that like gamification kind of came from was mm-hmm. like, yeah, like let's set it up. Like it is a, it is a battle. It is a war or maybe it's a game, mm-hmm. you know, Maybe this is our championship. Like, can we make it some kind of positive spin and um, encourage each other instead of thinking all about, you know, the doomsday scenarios? 
I love that. I love that it's a, a game. I'm clearly, you know, I'm a, a theater geek at heart. So the sports ball, I'm, I'm confused by. So I immediately went to, you know, Bill Pullman and Independence Day and like, you know, speech on a car kind of scenario. Um, and I'm like totally a lot of what I'm thinking about right now is I keep going to different Shakespeare plays and I'm in Julius Caesar in my head, like yeah. 99% of the time right now. And so I love, I love giving it something that is positive to think about. And I love the way you framed it. If, uh, if anyone uh, watching or listening goes to your site, you're very much framing it around this concept of if the numbers are less than projected, then it means we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, that we're doing a good job. So that's our goal is to come and check the numbers and be like, yes, they're lower. Some of our uh, our techniques have worked. And so I so I read, you know, all your posts and I was looking at the numbers right before it we went on. I'm having so many technical difficulties that I will touch nothing to double check anything that's happened since we started this uh, this conversation. But I saw that you had said that you had two different indicators that you should make an adjustment. And I was wondering what those two indicators were. Well, so and so this is funny because I, I mentioned that uh, the day the day we decided to go ahead and like start posting data, we had been accurate in predicting the number to within you know to within twenty cases on three thousand, which is just crazy accurate. Every modeler is like, yes, that's amazing. Um, and then that was Saturday, and then over the weekend. And then on and then on Sunday, it came in pretty fairly significantly lower, and we, you know we kind of looked at each other and we were like, "Hey, like it's probably a testing anomaly. Like it's Sunday, so not as many tests got run." The CDC website they don't update their case number website on Saturdays or Sundays. Like we're getting this data from other sites besides the CDC sites because they just straight out don't update it unless it's Monday to Friday. Crazy. Crazy. You can take from that mm -hmm. one, you will. Um, and then, so we were like, oh, well, let's, we're not going to like adjust the numbers, but um, we're going to wait till Monday. And so on Monday, yesterday, I, we expected a jump on Monday because of that anomaly. And we expected, expected to get back on track. And it wasn't, it was, it was actually low again. And the reason we went ahead and updated the curve, updated the modeling curve, was because when you have exponential growth, which is what we're looking at, tiny changes in early data result in huge differences later because they all get multiplied. And that's, that's the difference between an exponential curve versus a linear curve. In linear curve, changes are all additive. So either, you know, your curve is here, and if you made an error in early data, it just goes up to here. So, mm -hmm. that. But the uh, errors or, you know, differences, you know, let's not call them errors, but like, um, you know, missed predictions, which, you know, this isn't perfect science, so there's going to be some, you know, offset. Errors in the beginning get multiplied later. And so they turn into really huge errors later. So it's kind of important to keep updating what you think the curve is like. And we had a little bit, not a, not a real argument, a scientist argument here about whether or not we should update the model. Because Travis said, 
you know, I'm not comfortable with this. He's like, I still think there are a whole bunch of tests that are going to come in and we're going to see a leap back right back onto our original curve. Mm. And I was like, well, it's been two days and it's not the weekend and it's Monday, you know? And so, you know, everything is okay. So we, so he listened to me and we did update the number to make the curve a little bit shallower than it had been. But if you look at the numbers today, um, it went way, way over. So we may be seeing like the testing leap starting to happen where we're going to get more tests. And that's from a public health perspective, from an individual perspective, you shouldn't necessarily care whether you get tested or not. Like it doesn't really make a difference to you, whether mm -hmm. you have it or not. You know, it only makes a difference to you whether you need help breathing or if you can treat it at home. Mm -hmm. That's really all that matters. The testing is for the sake of public health so that we can really tell what is happening, how it's spreading, where the problem areas are, where we need more strict um, regulations mm. and things like that. Um, and so that's kind of the deal with the testing um, is that we're, you know, we're at the mercy of the availability of tests, the willingness of you know, the willingness of medical providers to do the test because they only have a limited number and so they want to save them for when it's, you know, they feel it's more necessary. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a lot of anecdotal stories coming in of members of our acquaintance or first degree separation that, you know, they have all the symptoms and they, they aren't getting tested until they need to go to the ER for breathing out. Mm -hmm. um, and because I think it's just because of the lack of tests. So, you know, I, it's, I set up humans versus virus as this like day by day, like, will we, and you know, I think it's a good, a good way to raise awareness to say like, yeah, like, yeah, check them like you check the box scores every single day. But in reality, looking at the, the data on this daily level is not really the you know, statistically appropriate way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and you are going to see some ups and downs like this because we're still in the physics of small numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, we're at, we were at nearly 6,000 cases in the country right now. If the numbers hold, I'm not cheering for this. No. If the numbers hold, by the end of the month, we're looking at somewhere between 200,000 and 500,000 cases across the U.S. by March 31st. Mm -hmm. And then you have a much bigger sample size, so the data is better. You can see better what's happening. Mm-hmm. Well, that is all so, so useful. So the idea of, of this kind of growth, this uh, exponential versus linear, is that, and, and I think that for this virus, what they're saying right now, and you said what this is called at the beginning of this, but I don't remember, but how infectious it is. So it's, I think, one. The R, the R naught value. Thank so you. R naught, R naught, or, and that's N-A-U-G-H-T, R naught, which is R with a subscript zero. Um, so if you see R with a little zero next to it, that's R naught. And that is basically a measure of how many people, if one person has it, how many people on average are they likely to infect while they have the disease? And so for this, this is one, one person will infect two. Is that right? Or thereabouts? Um, so there have been various numbers and it depends kind of where you are at because like in some places, the numbers coming out are worse than others. Mm. The number that has been floated around the most is 2.3. Okay. And obviously, you can't infect 0.3 of a person, but it's an average. So it's a little higher than two, actually. And for all the people who are saying it's just the flu, 
seasonal flu R naught is about 1.3. Okay. So it's, a, you know, you can call it double, obviously it's a little less than double mm-hmm. seasonal flu in terms of how contagious is it. By comparison, because I've heard people say, well, we didn't panic like this when it was H1N1 in 2009. Mm-hmm. The R naught of H1N1 was 1.5. Mm. So it was slightly higher than the seasonal flu, which is why it spread like it did, mm-hmm. um, because it was higher. And so um, this is, again, you know, somewhere just shy of twice as contagious. And then I do think it's, uh, are, have you done any, or have you heard about or uh, this uh, patient, in, patient 31 in South Korea who infected... Yeah you know, a, a crap ton of people, which I know is not a technical uh, statistical term, but, uh, you know, have went to church, went to a buffet, went to church. Yes. Um, and they and, were a super spreader. Yes. And that was really what caused South Korea to get out of control. Um, right. Because every, because then even though that person was like way outside of the bounds of what the average R not value is, like if it's normally 2.3 and this person infected, you know, 200 people, that's clearly outside the realm of normal. However, each one of those 200 people now have an R naught of average of 2.3. So they're going to go out and affect two more people. Yeah. It's just insane. So that is why, um, why the curve matters so much and why it matters, you know, as, as we said at the beginning, why did I want people to hear from you is that so many people think if there's two, if there's 10, if there's 50 in my area, you know, it's not that bad, but it is that bad because of how, how contagious it is. And also the fact that there's studies coming out now, and of course it's so early, so it's all jiggly jaggly all over the place, but that you uh, shed more of the virus when you have no symptoms than when you do, which means that you are just out and about shaking it up in New York City and and spreading it all around. So again, I'm not a virologist or an epidemiologist or an infectious disease specialist. I'm a data person. So the R-naught is important because it leads to the increase of cases. You know, it, it's the, it's basically the foundational reason for why the curve is happening the way it is. But if we just go back and look at the curve, and we can talk about exponential growth, what you really want to think about, if you're just looking at the data and not worrying about, like, how infectious is it or contagious, because mm-hmm. that's, that's more medical than I want to talk about. Uh-huh. Um, we can talk about doubling time. Mm-hmm. What is the doubling? How long does it take to double how many cases there are? And again... The reason the doubling time is sh- so short, so if you have a long doubling time, that means it's moving slowly. Mm. The shorter the doubling time is, the uh, quicker the virus is moving through the population. And, you know, the r not that contagiousness measure, is the underpinnings of why the doubling time is what it is. Mm. But if you just look at the data of the doubling time, that's what makes it exponential growth. So remember, linear a linear growth would be additive and exponential growth is multiplicative. So, you know, with linear, if it was growing in a line, it would be like today, you two people have it. And tomorrow, two more people have it. So that's four. And the next day, two more people have it. So that's six. And the next day, two more people have it. You just add two every day. So that's, that's additive. That's a linear curve, right? But in an exponential curve, 
it doesn't, you don't add two every day. You multiply by two every day, or in this case, every two days. Our doubling time has been somewhere right around two days, mm. plus or minus. Um, and that's true for the what we've seen come out of Italy. It's true for a lot of the numbers coming out of China. Whether or not you believe the data or not, it's pretty consistent. Mm. And it's been consistent with the U.S. numbers as well, um, that it doubles about every two days. So that means that today, two people have it. Tomorrow, four people, which is just the same as the linear curve. But then the day after that, eight people have it because it doubled again. And the day after that, 16. And the day after that, 32. But and you're you're still thinking, well, gosh, 32 cases. That's not huge. I mean, I live in a major metropolitan area, so 32 cases isn't that big. But the problem is, is that you're only a week away from being in the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands cases when you double every two days um and that's that's what people don't understand about like, like people think that this came out of nowhere and the problem is it's been exponential the whole time but that threshold between when people think it's not a big deal to when people think it is a big deal is usually just one doubling time is mm -hmm. all it takes to, to flip that switch. It's also, it's only one doubling time to flip the switch between, we had half of our ICU beds open at a hospital, but in two more days, the numbers of infected double again, or the numbers of critical patients double again, and all of a sudden we're swamped. We have no beds left. We're turning people away. You know, we're having to bring in orthopedics and neuro neurologists to treat, to intubate people. Mm -hmm. You know, and people say, how did this happen? How, why didn't you see it coming? Well, because two days ago, only half their ICU beds were, were full and the hospital was operating like normal. That's exactly what happened in Italy. It's what happened in Seattle. And it's starting to happen in New York. There are some huge New York numbers today. Yeah. Yep. That's why uh, That's why we're quarantined in here in yeah. this, uh, this very tiny shoebox apartment in New York yeah. City. Certainly wish, you know, we were, we were, you know, probably 24 to 48 hours from being stuck in Palm Springs and what a pleasure that would have been. But <laughs> instead we are in this tiny apartment where my son is getting ready for the playground. And then he's like, and oh, why can't I go? And I'm like, eh, you can't. <laughs> so sorry, kid. Uh, I, he's going to start, you know, uh, I don't know, a union or something. He's very upset about the lack of playground time. So you just explained that so incredibly well. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Now, as we sort of wind things up here, is there anything that you'd like to share for, with people about um, how they can think about this? Um, how can they help flatten that curve? Um, how can humans win against the virus so we can help contribute to your, uh, your awesome site being a win for humanity? So, yeah, a couple things. Like, first of all, you know, I, I, I've said it for a couple of weeks now, but it bears repeating because I think there's still some people out there who don't think it's a big deal. And it isn't a big deal no matter where you live. Because I think um, I had a friend in Arizona, near Phoenix, who was like, well, it hasn't, it hasn't been a big deal in Arizona. It's like, oh, it will be um, unless we take action. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of great sayings going around about how um, 
it, when there's exponential growth like this, anything we do preemptively will look like an overreaction unless we fail to flatten the curve and then it will look like woefully inadequate measure. And so that's what we have to remember. Like it's, it is tough. There's a lot of tough stuff going on right now because of this virus with social distancing and mental health and kids home from school and productivity with working from home, working from home with kids home from school and not being able to go outside in, you know, if you're in an urban environment and, um, economy and, and all people of this lost stuff. their jobs. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it is important. Um, it is a it is a time, like the time has come to batten down the hatches to get through this time. And it isn't, you know, our school district out here in Colorado, um, you know, very optimistically closed school for two weeks. Uh, they closed school this week and then next week was going to be our spring break anyway. And I went in there to pick up, um, they're, they're sending home some online and uh, home learning materials. So I went in to pick up that stuff yesterday. And I said to the principal, I forgot to uh, hand in my kids' uh, yearbook order forms. You know, should I go get you some cash right now? Because I know that, you know, there's a deadline for when you can order yearbook. And she was like, oh, they're not due till April 17th. So don't worry about it. Like, as if, like, as in, like, I'll see you before then, you know? And it's, like, it's time to start getting our heads around that this is, there's going to be a long tail on this. And you don't have to, like, come to terms with that, like, immediately in this moment. But the sooner you can start thinking about canceling your Memorial Day plans, then if it comes to fruition that we are not in a place to go back to normal life by Memorial Day, like the easier it will be for you, mm -hmm. the less resistance you will experience. And, you know, I know I, when my husband had that first conversation with his buddy back in January, around January 25th, and he came to me and he was like, there is a virus. It could become a global pandemic. I was like, calm down. Like, I can't handle this. I've got kids to get to school. I got work to do. I got so many other, like I am, I suffer from, you know, ongoing anxiety anyway. Like you are like contributing to the, to the deterioration of my mental health. I cannot handle that. But the fact that he said that on January 20th meant that by February 15th, when I could see the way tidal wave coming too, I was like, okay, time to go to Costco. Like, you know, and so it's, if we all are able to have like massively contactful Memorial Day barbecues, we'll all be very happy. And that will be a very, very good outcome. But like, we have to start preparing ourselves that this could go into the summer. And, you know, will the summer start to kill off the virus? Coronaviruses don't survive well in the heat. I am not an infection. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's, there's some hope around that. There's some hope that it's, you know, it will change with the season. Um, obviously, if we can do some social distancing here, you know, a lot of experts are saying that the minimum, so because the, um, I know I got to wrap up, but because the uh, incubation period on the virus is 14 days, we need at least two weeks to see if 
our efforts at social distancing are doing any good at all, mm-hmm. which is why us going right now to check the daily numbers and post them on our website is a little disingenuous. Because if we're going to see, we need about two weeks from, from you know, this weekend mm-hmm. to see if uh, we're making any kind of a difference. And then, and so we, in order for these social isolation restrictions to be lifted, we have to start seeing the infection rates go down. And for them to drop under a certain level, and I will leave the medical experts to say what that certain level is, certain level to feel comfortable lifting social restrictions. So that's longer than two weeks. Um, that's it's, it's at least two weeks to see any kind of a difference at all. And then it's going to lag behind that. In China, it took about seven weeks but China locked people into their apartment buildings under armed guard. Mm-hmm. So um, we're not doing that here yet. So we may not expect as good of results as they had in terms of um, in terms of the rates of infection decreasing. So I guess that's my main message: is like this isn't panic. This isn't creating media hysteria or you know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist who think this is all to distract us from something else, but like, seriously, get your head around. It's going to be a while. And if it's less than that while, we'll all be super duper happy. Um, and then, you know, in the longer term, there's going to be upheaval because of this, you know, the economy, the political process, um, you know, they're considering canceling primary elections in some states mm-hmm. that are still happening because of this. And so it's also important for us to get our heads around that, too. That remember that we're, you know, humans first, Americans second, and we're all in this together, ultimately. Maybe, you know, and maybe our metropolitan areas third, you know, mm-hmm. um, that like we're all in this together and we're going to have to solve it together. and It's going to be a while. And if we can prepare ourselves for that, I think there's less chance of panic and hysteria. Because if you're prepared, you can say, like, okay, like, I'm, I'm breathing into this. You know, I'm still on, and this is the last thing I'll say, I'm still on work calls. I was on a work call today, a conference call, where it was like the first time someone on a conference call had said, you know, this schedule could slip because of coronavirus. And when she said it, she said it real fast. Mm. Like she was embarrassed to be saying it. Like the schedule might just because of coronavirus. She was afraid she'd be ridiculed for saying that. And it's like we all need to collectively understand that that a large portion of the American workforce that can work from home is working from home with children. Mm-hmm. And there's a large part of the workforce that can't work from home, and so are either losing their jobs or putting themselves in harm's way. And so. It's okay to talk about that. <laughs> it's okay to say it on a conference call. We're all going to have to give ourselves a little grace about deadlines. It is not business as usual. And that's not panicking. That's preventing us from panicking in the future. If we can admit that now and come to terms with that, we're going to be less likely to panic when we have to figure stuff out. So I think that's generally the message that I'm trying to convey is that the more prepared we are, even if something bad might happen, the less we can panic in the moment and the more prepared we can be with some sort of response. 
Amazing. Amazing. I totally agree. Amy, I appreciate you so much, everyone, for watching. Thank you. I know that this is a difficult thing to think about. But again, like Amy said, you will be so much better off if you start thinking about it now so that if anything does happen, you are less likely to panic. And so thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, uh, Notable Women. And I will catch you again shortly. All right. Bye, everyone. And stay home. Stay home. Whoever, someone needs to hear this, you need to cancel your haircut. Just let it grow. It's gorgeous. It's going to be great. It's going to yes. be awesome. I totally yes. agree. Take care of your teeth. That's my other thing. Take care of your teeth. Okay. Floss. No one breaks their ankle for the next. No, no. My son wants to climb something. I was like, no, no, no. We're not climbing anything. <laughs> Stay on the ground. All right. Bye, everybody. There you have it. That is the interview with Amy Simpkins. I hope that you found it useful. I do understand that it's a little terrifying. I had been following Amy's take on the numbers before I interviewed her. And then since the interview, I've been glued to them. And humans have not done particularly well against the virus in the United States. But we can do well. We can do better. We have to flatten the curve. We have to socially distance ourselves. And we are going to save millions of lives by doing so. So thank you for listening to this episode. I highly encourage you to share it with anyone who you think would benefit from it. I know that a lot of people have a hard time understanding the concept of millions of people dying. That is too great a number. But I think understanding the data, understanding the math can be something that really helps people wrap their head around it. So I hope that you'll share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. You can also find Amy's information at humansversusvirus.com and that's versus with V-S. I appreciate Amy so much for this. We're going to have more conversations around COVID-19. In the intros to the episodes, I will always let you know if it's a COVID-19 episode or not. So that way, if it's something that you happen to not want to talk about or think about in a certain moment, then you can avoid that episode and there'll be other content for you as well. I appreciate you so much. Come and check out the Social Distancing Summit, the notablewoman.com slash group. I'm happy to be back here with you and I hope that you stay safe and be well.